And I know there's all kinds of confusion about religions, but there are genuine Bible-born-again Christians. And I'm sure in North Korea tonight, there are many who are enduring horrendous things that we can't even begin to think about. And they're doing it, why? Because they love the Savior. The love of Christ is burning in their hearts that they will not surrender. And they may be in prisons, in places of, of hard labor, night and day. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and today we have another, well, we're going again to speak on model marriage, and we're looking at God's good training in Hebrews chapter 12. Yesterday I spoke a little bit about myself. I was converted, well, first of all, born in Northern Ireland, converted at age 18, a member of the Free Presbyterian Church founded by Dr. Ian Paisley, who is now deceased. I attended the Bible Seminary, the Whitfield College of the Bible, and was ordained to the Gospel Ministry in 1981 when I was 25 years old. And my wife Beulah and I uh, were married 1978 and we came along here in 1984 to British Columbia and to Surrey. Since then, I've been pastoring here in this church, preaching the Word, and uh, recently the Lord has given us opportunities to get the message out across the country. Now, by God's grace, we want to preach the gospel, preach Christ in all his fullness for men in all their need, but of recent my burden has also been to face the serious moral issues that we have in this country. Sin is abounding in so many forms. And of course, we can uh, apologetically attack the errors of uh, the various evils. But the real evil is the heart of man. Man's heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it, said Jeremiah. And we need the Lord to turn the hearts of men back to God himself. And so we need revival. We need a spiritual awakening in Canada. And the church of the Lord Jesus needs to awaken also to the urgent pressing issues that we face in standing for Christ. Some of them are theological. Some of them are social or cultural. But some of them are just downright black and white. Do we love truth? Do we love what God has said? Do we love what is according to the scriptures of truth? Or do we want to follow the, the way of ease, comfort, and uh, our own desires? And my burden is that we might turn the light upon the hearts of men and women to show them the way of salvation that is in Christ. And by leading them to Christ, they will therefore see the issues and understand the issues of sin, because nobody can be saved and not be convicted of sin. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to bring men and women out of darkness into the light. 
And so we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to work. His work is to convict of righteousness, of judgment to come. And we pray that that will be done in hearts. Would you also pray? And would you uh, let us know that you're listening in? Let us know that this ministry is a help to you, and I trust you'll be blessed. If you would like to have a booklet called A New Beginning or our magazine called Current, we will be happy to put you on the list, send this to you. You can also go on our website and sign up for our weekly newsletter with Bible studies, church information, and different details, and that goes out every Thursday. So stay tuned now as we come to the message on God's good training, Hebrews chapter 12. I had a phone call conversation with the Reverend Tomasi this week, and he shared with me what he was preaching on Sunday evening. And he said there was something he was preaching on John 15, on the vine and the branches, and the thought didn't come to him till Monday morning. You know, that happens preachers sometimes. You know, after struggling to get material and the message and so on, this great idea, this great thought comes Monday morning when Sunday's all over. Why didn't I think of that in the midst of the message? And the point was that the husbandman trims the vines, trims the branches, that they may bring forth more fruit. It's not because they're diseased. It's not because they themselves are not trained. But it is necessary for the husbandman, who is the father, to trim those back that they bring forth more fruit. God will find a way. I can make this plant bear more fruit. And as John 15, 8 says, herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. And when we are going through suffering and trials, that's when we bring forth fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, and so on. In those times, God is working in the good man, the good woman, the godly Christian, pruning us to make us more fruitful. That's the program of our wise, heavenly Father. Take that truth into church life. That's hard. When our Heavenly Father reduces the vine to fewer branches, doesn't look very pretty, doesn't look very encouraging. But you see, He wants our prayers. He wants our songs in the midst of trial. He wants our devotion and our consecration. And in those times, God proves the dedication, the consecration, the loyalty of his people. Now bring it down to the individual Christian, you. The Christian life 
Get this now is not for your ease. I know we can say that, but to really grasp it. The Christian life is not about your earthly prosperity, earthly riches, perfect health, and perfect peace in your life. Now, I know we pray for those things, but God is sovereign in how he dispenses those blessings. We do receive so many of them, but very often God may leave just even one, a thorn in the flesh, all to work grace in the Christian, to humble, to empty, to cut down, to size. And then he shows his power through the broken vessel. And let's think on this. God will do anything to bring forth fruit in your life. He will do anything to make you fruitful. You might say, Ian, that, that's, that's hard. Let's back it up a little bit. Let me give you just a few examples of this. Does God test? Does God prove? Think of Abraham, who was tested. There's Isaac, his beloved son, and he's called to do the unthinkable, to take him to the mountaintop and sacrifice him. Now, we know the end of the story in God's goodness. It didn't follow through, but it was the big test. It was the big test. And God said, now I know that you love me. Now I know. And when we go through hard things, God ends up saying, now I know that you didn't curse me. You didn't fly in my face. You didn't turn away you endured. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, where we read about the way of the Lord that he led Israel for 40 years to prove them. Let me tell you, that's a pretty long experiment. That's about as long as I have been a Christian. And sometimes we think my whole life has been that kind of an experiment. God is proving Forty years of depending on God in the wilderness, on the manna, on the quail, on the water out of the rock, on constant miracles, total dependence on God to prove them, all that he might bless them in the end. Many failed. Those with unbelief rebelled. There was a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt, and God was purifying his people. And God is always doing that. He's always doing that. You know of Peter who said that the trial of our faith is like gold in the fire. And after we have endured, we come forth as gold. God is purifying his church. And sometimes there's so much dross, and it has to be burned off to bring us to the place 
of surrendering. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Peter 1, 7 with me, that reference to the purifying, uh, uh, the gold being purified, because there's a surrounding verse that we should not miss when you talk about God purifying His people. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 7 is the text, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory, notice when, at the appearing of the Lord Jesus. It's not tonight. Tonight might be a night of weeping. Tonight might be a night of lamenting. It's not easy to have a song going through a trial, but the purifying leads to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We're not living for the now. We're living for that day Christ will return. And that ought to keep us going. That ought to keep us from being discouraged, from being feeble and our hands hanging down. There ought to be within us an understanding. The Lord is calling me to walk through the fire because on the day of Christ's return, he is going to honor. That is our hope. How can we do that? Well, verse 8 is very important then, too. Whom having not seen, ye love. Faith worketh by love. And it is my love for Christ, it is your love for your Savior that enables you to walk through the fire to endure the purifying process, to wait for the day when you will be honored by the Lord. Think of the resignation of Job, that, that greatest of all statements of submission. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. That's pretty low, though he slay me. When we think of Christians in countries that are, where there is persecution, where churches are burned and where lives are threatened, and I know there's all kinds of confusion about religions, but there are genuine Bible-born-again Christians and I'm sure in North Korea tonight, there are many who are enduring horrendous things that we can't even begin to think about. And they're doing it, why? Because they love the Savior. The love of Christ is burning in their hearts that they will not surrender. And they may be in prisons, in places of, of hard labor, night and day. And in Job 13, 15, the next verse goes on to say this, He also shall be my salvation, for an hypocrite shall not come before him. Now, I don't have time to preach on that, but what's God doing? He's taking the hypocrites out. And where there is persecution, you won't get many hypocrites. Where there is fire and trial, 
Hypocrites run. It is those who truly love the Savior that stand and seek to honor the Lord in the midst. I close with verses 10 and 11, this goal. Uh, God works for our good because of the goal of holiness, to make us holy. All things work together for good, and the good is holiness. That's the goal. Is that your prayer, Lord, make me holy? I, I warn you, you pray that prayer. God will make boost the training. He might say you've got to do more than ever you've done. And as you may know, the, the, the more holy you seek to be, the greater the, the battle will be against the world. And training cannot be avoided. Chastisement cannot be avoided because the Lord is looking for long-term fruit. Long-term fruit. You see that in verse 11, back in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. It's not easy, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That's good fruit, righteousness. And God is working diligently as our coach, as our Redeemer, as our sanctifier, to lead us to bring forth fruit of righteousness. And it mentions their peaceable fruit, peaceable fruit. And this only confirms what the husbandman in the vineyard does as he prunes away, that it may bring forth more fruit. This is not easy, but it's genuine. It's genuine. It would be easy to be a prosperity preacher. You serve God and he'll make you wealthy. He'll make you like Abraham. Abraham had great wealth. Well, he also had 600 servants that had no wealth. Don't think that if you're a Christian that everybody around you is going to be rich. That's phony. That's false. Preachers get away that with that for a while. But this would we have learned tonight, the chastisement, the training, the goal of holiness, Christ-likeness, that's genuine. And that's the kind of holiness we want. That's the kind of Christianity we want. Let us bow and pray that on that eternal day, when we see Christ, we will indeed receive the well done. That's the goal. Make that your prayer tonight. And may the Lord use us for his glory. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. What is biblical marriage? I never thought I would live in times when we would have to answer such an ABC question on marriage. Society is pushing agendas that force us to go back to basics and look again at the foundations for biblical marriage. 
I won't digress into the humanistic ideas that are based on evolutionary thinking. There can be no model at all for human relations if we are the product of chance over vast periods of time. Such a view leads to marshy ground of life spawning and life endlessly developing into something we don't know what. The one thing we need to observe is that across all species, male and female unions have been the only means of reproduction. Any departure from that clear dichotomy of male and female has caused species or subgroups to die out. Our understanding of biblical marriage must go back to God's creative work when he made man male and female. That is a clear statement on the Genesis record, and it is a fact known through the populations of the world. Mankind exists, lives, and procreates as male and female. This is an historic fact, and it's a biological fact. Any divergence from this basic position either neglects the facts or fights against them. One of the marvels of human civilization is the almost perfect balance in the number of births of boys and girls. Some families may be blessed with all boys, and some families may be blessed with all girls. Not all families are blessed with two and two, one and one, or five and five. However, in any population around the world, there is the constant balance of male and female. The only interruption to this has been human intervention through family planning with favoritism for the birth of boys, meaning the abortion of girls. This creates an imbalance, but it is one that is accountable through human interference and rebellion to the plan of God. This cohabitation of man and woman to produce children has been a vastly important issue in all societies. The only consistent model of marriage has been a contract between one man and one woman. This was God's providential work in creating Adam and then creating Eve as his wife and helpmeet. God didn't make Adam a polygamist by giving him more wives than one. In God's work of creating the first parents, Adam was created first, and woman was given as a helpmeet to him. Their difference in biological makeup were dramatic and obvious. Adam could not produce offspring alone. He needed a wife with the biological ability to conceive and bear children. Scientists might weigh in here with the well-established fact that each human person has 23 pairs of of chromosomes. The 23rd pairing determines the sex, that is, the XY factor in determining male versus female. XX is for girl, and XY is for boy. This is a fixed law of creation, built in by God as creator. He not only made one set of humans, he established an unchangeable, perpetual law of procreation by requiring 46 chromosomes, which cannot be provided by female unions alone, nor male unions alone. There was no other way for human life to procreate 
in order to fulfill its God's given mandate to multiply and replenish the earth. And that law of pairing chromosomes across genders applies to every generation. This model has been followed consistently throughout the ages. Yes, there have been perversions and horrible abuses of it, but nevertheless the model of one man and one woman in marriage union continues throughout the world, from nation to nation and culture to culture. It is the model that is fought against, rebelled against, and mocked by many, but only because it is the model. Everything else is an experiment and is doomed to feel as a solid building block to any society. The Lord Jesus countenanced marriage between one man and one woman when he attended a wedding at Cana of Galilee and spoke of the permanence of marriage in underscoring the issue of divorce, which was abused in his generation. The Apostle Paul built on the model of marriage between one man and one woman as in creation of Adam and Eve, when he expounded on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. And he talks about, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This creation model laid the foundation for marriage unions between one man and one woman. But then there is another model to focus upon a model that lifts this to an even higher order. The Apostle Paul alluded to it in this passage in Ephesians 5. It is the model of Christ and the church. Christ is the husband as Redeemer, Savior, and the body of believers is the bride, the Lamb's wife, bought by the blood of Christ. There is but one Savior and one church. In His infinite wisdom, God has modeled marriage between one man and one woman on the redemption plan of Christ as Savior of His church, even giving His life for her. The apostle went on to show that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That means sacrificial and pure love. The Bible is also very clear that every other sexual union outside of marriage between one man and one woman, brings down the wrath of God. Adulterers and fornicators God will judge. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. Marriage between man and woman has God's blessing. It is God's plan in creation, procreation, raising of godly children. Marriage and the establishment of family is the building block of society. Marriage and the family is the first institution God ordained. Without it, humanity is doomed to misery, corruption, and the wrath of God. Bible passages to read on this is Genesis 1-3, Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 7, and Ephesians chapter 5. Let us then rejoice in God's gift of marriage and pray to live up to the one model that God is pleased to bless. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.